welcome to The Vessel, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Frank Johnson and Peter Bush. Let's get all up into some movies, y'all. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Al Harrington's Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flowing Tube Man Emporium and Warehouse. Check them out on Route 2 in Weekapaw. <laughs> Come up with this stuff. <laughs> Welcome to The Pestle. I am Wes. <laughs> I'm Todd. And this is the show where we do so many things. Uh, we're filmmakers, actors, writers, producers, many things, and we like to not only just discuss the film, but we also look for interesting wrinkles in the uh, the filmmaking process. What can we learn or what can we learn about storytelling and camera work and whatever random thing kind of pops into our heads about you know any given film? Sometimes we get deep. Sometimes we do, yeah. And sometimes... It's super shallow. Yeah. <laughs> This one, this one might be a shallower one. This might be. <laughs> yeah. But I think we'll find out a little bit about the process, uh, which, I mean, who's not interested in the process of making a Star Wars film? That's true. Right? That's true. Uh, li- little little uh, caveat, there are spoilers, um, and we're going to get right into them. So if you have not seen Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, please pause this and go watch it and come right back. And there's even the possibility that we'll talk about other Star Wars films because this is all contiguous. Yeah. That's a possibility. I don't know, but I have a suspicion. (laughs) (laughs) We never know what is going to happen. This is true. Well, I never know what's going to happen. You're the one with the notes. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, And for instance, today we're going to be talking about story in a lot of different ways. Um, Deus Ex Machina. Uh, we'll do a visual analysis of some of the camera work and some other things, and just a lot more. There's going to be some interesting conversation going on today for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's jump into a synopsis really quick. Uh, so three decades after the Empire's defeat, a new threat arises in the militant First Order. Stormtrooper defector Finn and spare parts scavenger Ray are caught up in the Resistance's search for the missing Luke Skywalker. It's directed by J.J. Abrams, written by Lawrence Kasdan, J.J. Abrams, Michael Arndt, uh, and it's starring Daisy Ridley as Rey, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, John Boyega as Finn, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, and Oscar Isaac as Poe. The flooding tunnel's over that ridge. We'll get in that way. What was your job when you were based here? Sanitation. Sanitation? Then how do you know how to disable the shields? I don't. I'm just here to get Ray. People are counting on us. The galaxy is counting on us. Solo, we'll figure it out. We'll use the Force. That's not how the Force works. Oh, really? You're cold? Come on. (laughs) Oh, my God. How good is it to see Harrison Ford back in Han Solo's vest. <laughs> so good. So good. And it was funny is that earlier tonight, cause my son loves star Wars. Uh-huh. He hasn't seen any of the films because he's only four and, uh, and they're a little violent uh, sure. for a four year old. But, uh, I tell him stories all the time at night <laughs> and he asks me a lot of times to tell him the stories. And just earlier tonight, I was trying to get him to calm down and stop picking on his sister and, and relax. So I start, so I, I, Oh, and my little girl had this like ball toy, and I said that looks like the Death Star. And uh, he said, oh, "Really?" Because I hadn't even shown him a picture of the Death oh, Star. Wow. I've just told him about it. And uh, so I looked it up on my phone. I showed it to him, and then we watched a, a, a clip from the original. And I was pointing out, "Okay, that's that's Chewbacca, that's Han Solo, that's Luke Skywalker." I tell <laughs> you about that guy. And, um, so he's growing up. With oh like my gosh! These myths and legends. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like he's in Star Wars. Yeah. So when when Chewie was just did his his noise there, I was. It just made me think of of that because he did it in the in the clip that I showed him. So and I'm so, I'm I'm so excited to be able to introduce him to that so he can have that you know grow up with it as well like mm-hmm. like I did. It's such a iconic story i mean right it's it's yeah i mean it's largely based around uh joseph myth uh joseph campbell's you know myth myth mythology uh, analysis the hero's journey and 
Yeah, I mean, I grew up on it, and even if you didn't, it's hard to watch these films, at least the original three, and not identify with it in some way or form, right? Like everybody wants to be the hero in their own story, in their own adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Even if the hero could be considered a villain for whatever reason. Yeah. Depends on what side you're on. True. You know? True perspective. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what did you think of uh, episode seven? <laughs> I've been avoid I don't know if you realize I've been avoiding voicing my opinions on it. Yeah, yeah. Um I I remember watching it the first time. I and I'll do this for the next, you know, episode as well. I walk in to a, like a midnight 1 a.m. screening at the Alamo mm-hmm. and have my earbuds in so that I don't hear anybody talking about it who's walking out or maybe hard core. Yeah, maybe someone behind me is going to be their second viewing of the day or something, I don't know. But until the lights go down and we're well into it, like I'm not taking those earbuds out. And so I got a pretty pure experience. What were you listening to? Uh, that's a good question. Loud music. It was probably like the drive soundtrack or something. Okay. Um, no, you know what it was? It was uh, <laughs> what my, my favorite band. I suddenly can't remember. Who what are. are you looking at me like I was supposed to? Foles. Uh, oh, okay. Foles. Gosh. Oh, man. And I was going to guess My Little Pony. I had to, also equal. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And walking out, man, I had two differing opinions. On the one hand, I loved it. Like It was a, a lot of fun. I got to see some beautiful images and you know excellent uh, acting and great fight scenes and the lighting. Man, those lightings with the, the lighting with the sabers is freaking to die for. So good. And... And so I walked out, you know, satisfied, you know, on that side of things, but I was really disappointed with the story and in like a half dozen ways, um, which give me one, we'll get it. Well, the easiest one is, uh, the, the rehashness of it. Okay. Um, yep. Yep. you know, you have, and I'm sure everyone's heard this, you know, a thousand times already. You can Google it. So I'm not going to go deep into it, um, because we like to try to keep things fresh and things you wouldn't necessarily hear otherwhere just uh, on the surface level you right you have a rebel who has important data he stashes in a robot and it gets interrupted with you know a dark character you know in a mask yeah and the robot escapes only to be found by a lonely hero on a sandy planet you know uh, who comes across this valuable thing and gets pulled into this whirlwind adventure uh, what does and, that sound like? Uh, can you tell which one it is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they do that. So they heavily sample from A New Hope and as well as Empire Strikes Back with, you know, destroying the Death Star and yeah. locating the, the big boom room or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, and you can go endlessly into analyzing it in that way. And so just on that alone, I was like, uh, I was hoping for more, I guess. But. Yeah, we'll get into my other issues later. But okay, yeah. But what? How about you? What? What was your takeaway? Uh, so the first. So I've seen it twice. The first mm. time I saw it, um, thought it was okay. It didn't floor me. I mean, parts of it floored me. The first fight scene with the Millennium Falcon, the the, the flying scene, that was awesome. It was so badass. Yeah. So good. Uh, so there were a few things that floored me, but I really, really hated Adam Adam driver in this film, like with did not like him really and even the second time I wanted to like him like, cause I, I liked the film more the second time I saw it and I wanted to like him. So I just was like, you know what? Just let it, just let it go. <laughs> just let it go. Like, you know, you know, oh. just, 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 just suck it up. Yeah. Take it, take it, take it. <laughs> and, uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it, man. Um, and even after I watched it, I was like, I, I wanted to give it a night or 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 so to kind of digest it. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was horrible. Why did they cast him? Just because he was like, he's like the hot thing from Girls, I guess. I, I, I don't know. There's, I could name twelve other actors that would have done it a better job. Um, I think it's because when you when you know he's a little bit of a whiny character and just him being a whiny character. I don't, I'm sick of that. I've, I've seen him like that in girls. Like I don't need him like that in a yeah. star Wars movie. 
uh, yeah, so that that any he was a, he was fine when he didn't take off his mask. I, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Actually, and, yeah, and and the moment he took off his mask, I was like, oh. Hmm. Okay, that took me out of it a little bit. Then, it's weird, right? Because yeah. I feel like whenever he had his mask on, he was largely not 100, percent but largely kind of under delivering his lines. And there's right. This yeah, you mentioned that control. There's this power that comes with not having to overact anything. Yeah. But the moment his helmet comes off, he starts to amp it up, like you know, five or six notches, and I'm like, you feel less in control. Yeah. Um. Even though he still has his outbursts. Uh, kind of modeled after Darth Vader, right? Vader would have his outburst. And I didn't care for the outburst, but I feel like that's not his fault. That's the script that's written in. Yeah. Um, he has to explode and destroy things uh, in these tantrums. But yeah, the second the mask came off, uh, that was all him. I feel like there wasn't the script pushing him to do anything. He was making these decisions that were... I guess still in keeping with, and maybe that's going to be a part of his larger arc as the story develops, mm-hmm. but just in the arc of this film, yeah, yeah. He, he he felt like he was doing a little too much whenever he was exposed. Yeah, it, he his voice was awesome. Yeah. I loved the voice with the mask mm-hmm. on. So great. I, I thought, man, this guy's going to be good. <laughs> and and then he takes off his helmet and it's just, just it ruined it for me completely. Yeah. Um, Maybe even like ruined the whole movie for me completely. Okay, so getting really into the spoiler territory. Yeah. You saw Han getting it, right? Oh, yeah. Like, for me, I knew he was going to die the moment they announced that he was going to be in this film. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I didn't know that. I, I honestly did. I didn't know the. Because at that point there was no notice about the storyline, like oh, yeah. there's he has a son or whatever. But I knew I 100% knew like they're gonna freaking kill him, and I was already upset. I was yeah. already irritated, so I went in a thousand percent expecting that. But you know what? Honestly, that's that scene kind of worked for me. I maybe it was because I expected it that, and it was just the most beautiful scene in the whole film. I think like the lighting and the lighting change as the sun is being sucked away. And you have all this bright red that's covering his face, uh, Han Solo's face. And then his son is half and half, right? He's got half red face, half blue, uh, kind of representing, you know, he's torn about his decision that he's going to make. And then ultimately, uh, I think as the light goes out from the sun, he goes all red. And that's when he makes his decision. So there's some beautiful lighting that's uh, telling the story there, you know, as well. But... I I don't know. I feel I like that they gave it enough time to breathe, and even though it's still, as far as the story goes, uh, frustrating, like wasteful, um, because you don't you don't need to do that. <laughs> but if they're gonna do it, I feel like they did it pretty well. Um, there's a a hundred ways it could have been written better, I'm sure. Like yeah. But as far as what they did in the film itself, I was cool with it. I. I I thought it was really well built and delivered. I thought it was it was well done, like well thought out that that Kylo was the one that did it. Mm-hmm. Man, but how it happened was just you know, I, I mean our, like our buddy Scott down. was our buddy Scott brought it up and he and he was he hated it. He <laughs> right. it drove him crazy. Yeah. Right? He was just like, oh god, like <laughs> this iconic guy. And this is how he dies. Really, like. It could have been more dramatic, and it could have been more poignant. And I, I feel like I somehow. think yeah, I think what works for me in this scene is that no one can get Han. No one. He has to let you get him. Mm. And it was only his son and his vulnerability toward his son that could be his undoing. And so in that way, it worked for me. Now, what's missing is a lot of context in their relationship. And that's a really hard thing to do, like, because they try to build it up with between him and Leia. They're discussing their son and they're building it up with uh, Kylo Ren and Snoke. They're having their own conversation. And so they're, they're trying to create this relationship that we never actually get to see. And to some extent, I think it was, you know, successful. But 
there's only so much success you can have in creating a relationship where you never get to see the characters interact until yeah. the moment one is killing the other. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. I want, like, I want it to work. Yeah. You know, and part of me says, yeah, sure. Why not? But that's not what I want out of a star Wars movie. I don't want the, yeah, sure. I want the, yes, that when, when Darth Vader, okay. Uh, spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen the original three. Here um, we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fight scene between Vader and and Skywalker. Incredible. Cuts off his hand. Luke, I am your father. Come to the dark side. I'll never come with you. And then he falls down in the hole. That is how you do it. That right there yeah. is freaking timeless. Give Han something like that. You know why that works so well, too? Uh Everything you said, yes. But what works so well in those original three that they haven't ironed out, well, and certainly didn't iron it out in the the prequels, mm-hmm. um, but not in episode seven, and uh, I don't believe, is the action isn't what makes Star Wars good. It's a space opera. It's not a space action film. Yeah, you know, operas are all about the drama and the relationships. And as I'll talk about here in a little bit. What drives Star Wars is a bunch of plot devices, you know, to get these people into rooms together (laughs) so that you can have this drama unfold. Because the fight between Luke and Vader isn't spectacular, but it's full of emotion. And it's, and it's, you can feel the, the people being torn in two as they're trying to, Vader's trying to pull them in and Luke is trying to resist and, you know, get this, I guess survive at this point, you know, uh, but in episode seven, they, they try to tell these, these emotions too visually because they haven't established a, a really good, uh, exposition or backstory or relationships haven't been built to the point to where you understand inherently what's at stake in any given moment. Instead, what you're left with is the same thing that I have, the same problem I have with like, uh, some exorcism movies and faith movies is the force is just faith, right? I mean, it's kind of a stand in and how do you represent visually faith? It's like people wincing and grunting. Like it just doesn't work quite as well. Uh, what helps in star Wars, right? Is you have physical things like the lightsaber, uh, you can move objects, you know, with your mind and that helps kind of demonstrate what's going on inside of them. But in this film, we constantly have two people kind of staring each other down. Kylo Ren is trying to get information out of Poe, or he's trying to get information out of uh, Ray, and it's just visually not very compelling. It's it's hard to do, and I think they do it as well as they can. As well as it can be done, they do it here, um, which is through movement and through lighting and through music cues and through very subtle uh character acting um just physicality understanding what a close-up means to your face and how to represent perfectly the emotions you're feeling and so as well as it can be done they do it here don't get me wrong but it's still just not it's not a good substitute for solid storytelling like relationships and building on that and in a lot of ways i felt like it was just kind of lacking yeah I yeah. can see that. That's a really interesting point. I mean, some a lot of the action scenes were really cool mm. in this in this film. Oh like God. I mentioned, the at I think for the first like maybe thirty minutes of the film, I'm just in it, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm sucked in. Can we talk for a second? The brilliant idea of having a stormtrooper become one of the heroes. Yeah. Just. I, in every Star Wars movie I've ever seen, there's never been a moment where I've thought of the stormtroopers as like actual people, like almost they're almost like robots because mm-hmm. you just never see any of their faces. And this is the first time you actually see a stormtrooper's face, and you know you see him like like even before you see his face in the, in the first battle scene, you see him just like looking around thinking, what do I do? I can't kill these people. Like I can't just execute these people. It, and they, 
it's they do the brilliant thing of kneeling down next to the stormtrooper other stormtroopers dying and he puts blood on his mm-hmm. helmet so you can track him you yep. know who he is it just sucked me into that world like oh this is a fight this is like a war between one side and another side it's not like like these aren't all just clones yeah. you know these are actual people um fighting for what they think is right you know like he was he says he was brought up in this this was his whole life and this is all he's ever known was uh the first order so um why would he think any different and until that moment in the the battle where he's he just can't do it it's so great it is and for that very reason you said right like you never think about the stormtroopers as being people and suddenly you're reminded that we all have a choice on which line of the line in the sand that we're on and it can change it can change yeah you're responsible for that and i love witnessing someone go through that realization like you said he's looking around he's witnessing this war these people getting slaughtered and he's like what am i a part of yeah and (laughs) i mean you transfer it to today and you think how many people do you know in your life any of you out there that you wish could have that aha moment where they look up and they they're they're seeing what they're supporting and then they're they're thinking what am i doing yeah this isn't this isn't who I wanted to be. This is these aren't this isn't the thing I wanted to be a part of. And then make the decision to to go away from it. Totally. Uh, yeah, it, right. It takes an unbelievable amount of courage. And especially if we start going back into Star Wars representing like the World War Two and mm-hmm. you know the oh, yeah. the Empire representing Nazi Germany and Third Reich and all that stuff. And you realize that yeah, you know, just because this was the situation you in role that you were thrust into. You didn't have a say in that. You do at a certain point that realization hits of what you're doing and you have to make that decision like, oh yeah, this is what I am gonna be about, or it's or it's not. I have a conscience. Yeah, and it's all really well And it's easy for us to sit down and say, <laughs> Yeah, I hope somebody else changes their mind. But like <laughs> if you've been brought up in that, I mean, you know, like like I don't want to get I don't want to get political. Well, in easy times, it's always easier for us living in an easy time to look right. out in someone else's. Yeah, right, and say, well, "Come on, yeah. come to your senses," right? Um, but but also being self aware enough in the moment to realize that what you're doing is not right. Mm-hmm. You know, especially for someone in the military. You know, um, which this this uh, what's his name Finn like. It means he, certain death. Yeah, yeah. So he's brought up. He's brought up to be a warrior and a and a and a soldier his whole life. That's all he's known, and to follow orders, no matter what. And then he had to have that moment and to be self aware enough to have to realize in that moment, this is this is not right, and to make the decision to not do it, and then to make the bigger decision to defect and help the other side. I'm, I mean, uh, yeah. He has a pretty cool arc because I, I love the, uh, the moment between him and Maz, who is pre- played brilliantly by uh, Lupita Nyong'o, where she looks at him in the face, right? And she's like, oh, yeah. If you live long enough, you've seen, you, you learn to recognize the look of a man, the eyes of a man who's about to run. Yeah. He basically owns it. He's like, you don't know me, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't know where I come from. How did you know that I'm going to do that? <laughs> and it's great because he ultimately, you know, has to make those. His character is probably the only real thing I like about uh, this film as far as storytelling goes because he does make those decisions. Yeah. But let's get into. Deus Ex Machina. Okay. So we watched that film Ex Machina, but we actually and we reviewed it, but we never actually got into where that phrase kind of comes from. Uh, Deus Ex Machina, uh, which by the way, Domhnall Gleeson is in this film as well. He plays like General Hux, who the the redheaded general that's kind of competing with Kylo. Oh my God, that is him. Yes. Yeah, I didn't know it until I saw it in IMDb, <laughs> but I was like, Todd I probably recognized that? him. I'm really I shocked. I did recognize him, but I did not didn't from, place it. It didn't place Ex, ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so Deus Ex Machina is a 
comes from the Greek and it means God from the machine. Uh, it's a Greek expression because they often used cranes or trap doors to bring in a God to suddenly bring resolution. So it's kind of become a phrase referring to story moments that get resolved suddenly or arbitrarily without story logic. And so I feel like and you can easily look through other Star Wars films, but in this film, I was like, oh, there's why does R2-D2 suddenly come alive with the map at the end? Like this, it's kind of arbitrary and it's just timed for yeah. the sake of the film. Yeah. Uh, why doesn't Poe die in the crash? Like the, it's spotty. Yeah. Um, but my biggest issues and I don't know how, how I'm going to layer them all. Oh, <laughs> okay. Down and dirty. Well, let's start kind of small. Uh, I do really do love the uh, the marking on Finn's helmet because you're right that helps us track that helps uh, grant us a little humanity into a stormtrooper right. because that's not normally something they have yeah um, and I'm not sure if you never see blood yeah I was about to say I don't remember ever seeing blood no um, in a Star Wars film um, what I didn't like was the the acting not on his part but on whoever delivered that blood I felt like hey let's just get the prop master um mm-hmm. to do this for us and it's just it it feels forced it feels uh feels fake it just doesn't feel like this person is actually dying it feels like oh, i need to get this mark just right mm-hmm. and i'm good <laughs> 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 and that just really turns me off because a dying character i think is kind of a sacred thing whenever you get to have a moment yeah like that on scene on screen but the biggest issue in this film is kylo ren yeah in writing, in acting, fine, whatever. <laughs> but in writing, he starts off as the baddest mofo. Oh, yeah. Right? He freezes uh-huh. a laser in midair, and he's not even looking at it. Yeah. He's, like, turned around, and he just snatches it out of thin air, holds it there while he has an entire interrogation with Poe. Yeah. And then almost as an afterthought, releases it. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've established this dude is crazy bad. And we come to find out he murdered all the kids in the Jedi Academy. Yeah. And apparently Luke couldn't stop him. Yeah. So Luke ran away. This dude, he's got these real deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Let's keep going. <laughs> I'm liking where this is going. Why? Why can't he? He doesn't get much out of Poe. Like, suddenly you can't deal with this fighter pilot? Get out of here. Um, so he struggles with Poe. He struggles with Ray. He can't, like, get inside her head, who's untrained and doesn't really even, is just barely finding out maybe she has force power. Okay. My biggest issue is Finn. Finn represents everything i hate about star wars and marvel and so many action films and this he's a regular stormtrooper who suddenly becomes an epic badass what stormtroopers are terrible these guys just fall over (laughs) (laughs) you just punch them in the face and their armor suddenly counts for nothing uh yeah like these guys just tumble up any breeze of the wind, which is absurd for an empire to have such weak ground troops. Yeah. Like, can you imagine America sending our troops into anywhere in the world? I don't care where you put them. They're going to crush whoever because they're trained because we are the biggest, baddest military might on earth. And you're telling me the biggest, baddest in the galaxy mm-hmm. isn't training up worthwhile soldiers. Okay. So that's an issue. But then Finn walks out of there and suddenly he's got, you know, the golden touch. He can shoot him down, shoot his fellow brethren down and take him out. Like nobody's business. Fine. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> but what won't stand is for him to go toe to toe with Kylo Ren. What the double F are yeah. you talking about? Yeah. Right. Like that doesn't yeah, make he doesn't sense. even have any force power. Has no power. And this is moments after Kylo Ren dispatches Ray. He just flings her against a tree like yeah. a ragdoll. Yeah. And then decides, oh, I'm gonna 
go toe to toe, like just force him out of the way. Okay. And so he eventually overcomes the great force that is <laughs> of, of dropout stormtrooper. Yeah. Who didn't even make it through one mission, by the way. <laughs> what yeah. what yeah. training does this guy have? And so that's a huge issue. And then finally mm-hmm. manages to take him out. Ray wakes up and this untrained Padawan uh, suddenly that he just moments ago flung across the the forest. (laughs) He can't handle her all of a sudden and she beats his ass. Yeah. What? Yeah. Like that's such an epic failure of story logic that there is nothing else you can say other than deus ex machina for the sake of the writer and the director wanting a specific uh, character moment, a character victory that was not earned. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no rhyme or reason to having her win other than it just feels good. That's not good enough. Yeah, You established an incredible character at the outset and made him weaker as the story progressed. By the end of the film, how does your bad guy become worse than he was at the beginning? Well, I, you know, I, I thought about this a lot because it didn't didn't make any sense. And I, obviously, J.J. Abrams is not an idiot. Like, like the man knows how to make a good film, mm-hmm. and this is a good film. But my my only thinking is that what weakens him is his wrestling with himself, you know, like, because at the very, at the the onset of the film, you don't know that he's wrestling with it. He's not wrestling with anything. He just wants, he wants to win. He wants to destroy everything. And then, and you know, he's on his mission, but as the film goes on, he starts, yeah, he, he realizes, Oh, there's a chink in his armor here. Or there, you know, like there's little things that bug him. And because he's, Quote, and I'm just I'm just saying this. I'm not sure that this is it, but I'm just saying this is why I'm like, okay, maybe this is it. Because he's young and he gets frustrated and flustered and wears his heart on his sleeve, really, right? Because, I mean, Darth Vader had no heart, no sleeve, did not give a shit about anything, and you knew it. And so he was not weak at all, ever. There was never a moment where he was. And even when... You know, uh, he was fighting Luke mm-hmm. and, but he, but Kylo Ren does. And he, you know, as, as Han gets closer, he starts getting weaker and weaker because he feels Han getting closer. And then he has his weakest moment right before he decides to kill Han. And, and then after he kills Han, he's just fighting himself still. He, d- he knows that he had to do what he had to do that quote unquote, but he's still just, you know, unsure. I agree, and all those thoughts absolutely <laughs> occurred to me. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, but so the problem is, apart, please. <laughs> the problem is they didn't build that into the story. Ah, you're right. You're right. If those are actual things that he's dealing with, and that's letting him give someone else an edge up, they need to bring that into the story itself. Well, I think that might be why they cast Adam Driver because he, he's <laughs> such a whiny little dude. <laughs> Uh, not little. He's a huge man. He's a a very gigantic human being. Adam, don't come kick my ass. Um, but you know, anything you'd see him in, he's just kind of like that. I feel like, you know, like wafting through life and then stuff comes and it annoys him and you know, he has to swat it away and he's just to deal with stuff. (laughs) That's the characters that he's played and he plays this the same way. Uh, and so when I'm seeing him and he takes off his helmet because he's frustrated, it's the only reason he takes off his helmet, by the way, in originally, because he's frustrated. Uh, because I think it, I can't remember when, what scene it was. Maybe she challenges, yeah, she him, challenges him. Like, yeah. you know, are you even human under there or something like that? Yeah. And he takes off his a helmet. creature in a helmet. And that's when he takes it off. Right. Yeah. And, and then his, yeah. So she got to him and he, and he became weak and took off his helmet. And then from then on, just downhill, man, downhill completely. And because he just questions himself, like, oh, she's she doesn't think that. Oh, okay, well, yeah, and I give her something. I think you're right. I mean, I think they're trying to draw the parallel between him and Vader because, right, he's speaking to Vader's uh, burnt mask, and whenever he has it on, he's he's identifying more with Vader. When he has it off, he's identifying more as a human. 
And that would work if you were supporting that throughout the rest of the story. Right. Um, but you can't, that's too, that's something you do with a theme. <laughs> not, yeah. Not something you do with the character's internal clockwork. Yeah. That's, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more Vader influence than just seeing his singed helmet, yeah. his burnt helmet. Yeah. You know, like to have brought that into the story a little bit more, mm-hmm. especially since, since, uh, you got to you got such a good taste of him from uh Rogue One God. at the end. Yeah. Just so good. Uh, give me a little bit. Come on, just give me a little <laughs> little little hit, you know? Not not just his helmet. Like how is it, how is he really influencing him outside of him just worshiping this this, you know, destroyed helmet. You know? And and who's the big dude? Chewbacca? No, the, the <laughs> sorry. Who's the 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 big emperor guy? That, oh, Snoke. Yeah, Snoke. Snoke. It's a it's like Gollum. Yeah, I guess Gollum. Not crazy not about sh- their makeup work on that guy. Yeah, I'm not sure what. I don't like his name. I don't like the way he looks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is all the things that I'm like. I don't. I need to respect my villain. Yeah. And. To your point, like we don't respect Kylo, uh, we certainly don't respect Snoke. He he doesn't feel menacing. He feels like a creepy like principal. Yeah, and none of that is just going to make me say, oh yeah, we really got to take this guy down. Yeah, we need a little bit more evil. It's just everything kind of got soft pedaled and it started so evil. Yeah, way more evil because than any other. When he breaks out that saber to strike down, was that Christopher Plummer? Um, yeah. He, that thing is vicious and fast. Uh, and you feel the rage and just that element of out of control. And I'm like, Oh snap. It's shot and cut really well. No pun intended. Um, and yeah. And slaughtering everyone. Yeah. And it's, it, but you know what I don't like about that opening? The set design, I thought, just felt too yeah. much like a set, right? Yeah. Yeah, it did. You're right. It's weird. I don't, I don't remember feeling that way about anything else in the film. Uh, every other set, whether even the village in, in Jakku, which was real, was beautiful. Like, I thought it felt inhabitable. Um, same thing with the Cantina Maz's place. Every other location felt really well lived in. That opening scene, though, it just felt like, oh, I'm on a set. It's plastic. Yeah, exactly. I, I felt that too. Yeah, and that's I don't know. That's frustrating because the rest of it is just really freaking. Yeah, it awesome. feels big and it feels mm-hmm. like old. Yeah, you know, which was the thing that going back to when I, when I liked it, like you finally felt like, oh, they're they can see Star Wars again. This is such a big departure from the prequels that it feels like we're back in Star Wars universe. Yeah, uh, it's rustic and it's old and dilapidated. Uh, the technology in some places is run down. Right, you have the uh, the old LCD screens with the blips and yeah, it's awesome. Like I love yeah. that and it yeah, felt yeah. updated just enough to feel necessary and like useful. I can imagine like if I could have an overlay as a fighter maybe that just identified here's my target. That would help me aim a little bit cleaner as opposed to having all this crazy background that yeah. you have to deal with in real life. Yeah, and I know we're bouncing around a little right. bit here, uh, but uh, w- one frustrating thing I had was, and, and this is comes with a grain of salt because what came after it was totally effing amazing, but when Ray and Finn steal the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. is it, they just walked, they just ran into it and flew it away. There's not a lot of consequences throughout this film. If you think yeah. about the lie that Finn was perpetuating against Ray, he never pays any consequence for that. Yeah. She never gets frustrated with him. She never like, you know, cusses him out and throws him on his ass. Cuz the way he told her. Right? Right, but it's he waited too long to have no consequence. Yeah. Um and otherwise like why not just tell her right away? Why build up that tension? There's a tension there that we never really get to see relieved. It's th- just suddenly... Well, I, I think because she's a pilot, or she can fly, and he can't fly. And he wants her to take him somewhere, or to take him away. Yeah, right? he definitely wants to be with to her. Get away. Yeah. Well, to, even before he's like in love with her, he needs to get off that planet. True. So he lies to her, right? 
Um, I actually did like the way that he told her. It's it's like a way that I would tell someone that I'm lying. It, it wasn't like a, a a a movie version where I'm going to tell you the the worst part of it, but not the why, because you interrupt me and I don't let you I don't let you know what the why is, and then you run away and then I oh I, I didn't oh she doesn't understand no, no he he explained to her and exactly I you know what, and that's fine like I don't I don't mind that but there I still think there needs to be some kind of consequence, even if it's, uh, yeah, you don't I, have to I throw them out, but it's, it was built up enough to where, right. Even Han was like, Hey bro, she was, she's going to find out. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's like, how does Han know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so even if it's, she gives him a cold shoulder or they're arguing and she, uh, there's got to be some, something. Something. Yeah. It I can't agree. just be a hug. <laughs> I, no, I agree. I agree. But I wasn't frustrated with the dialogue. Okay. Yeah. Of that, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I usually Same. am yeah. in the in those circumstances. No, I agree with that. Yeah. You know, th- there's just a few like loose ends that I feel like in this movie they could have if they tightened them up a little bit, it would have been so much better. Yeah. It's just it felt like, <clears throat> hey, let's design a ride. Here's here's our plot points. Here's here's our action sequences. Let's back our way into the story a little bit more now. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of saying, what's our theme? There, I didn't really get a very strong theme out of this. Um, and we'll certainly talk about that in the room later. But Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but there's, I just didn't walk away saying, oh, yeah, you know what? They really nailed the... Uh, the relationship theme of belonging and you know what is family and what does it mean to be a father what does it mean to be a son and what does it mean to to have a prodigal son that you're you're searching for like they don't nail that stuff at all and yeah. uh, those are the things that you can do amazing in this universe because that's it's built around that yeah it's built around family yeah i i, I agree Mary. Especially when you look at something, you know, like Rogue One, which is, I gotta go watch the the originals again before I declare it. But more and more, Rogue One is becoming my my number one. Yeah, I, absolutely, uh, it's my number one. Yeah, I'll say it right now. That's fair. It's That's so good. Fair, it's really so. Is. Oh, can we do? Can we do? An, can we just talk about that for the next <laughs> half hour? No, I, I mean, and I do want to preface everything that we're saying with the fact that this is still a good movie. Like I mm-hmm. liked it a yeah. lot. Uh, I liked it more the second time I saw it. I mean, there were it, we, I was sitting right next to you, and like three or four times I look over, and I'm like, that was badass. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there are some really wonderful moments uh, between characters. There are some really wonderful moments that bring you in. There are moments that take you out, but for the most part, it's it's definitely entertaining. How good is John Boyega? Oh man, he's so good. If you were if, and we did and, like we've watched him in Attack the Block, yeah. where he's playing this radically different character, and you're like, I don't know how good this guy's going to get along in the, uh, the Star Wars universe. He's going to be a badass, and then you get in here, and he's just a, a teddy bear. Like, yeah. he's warm and friendly and uh, hilarious, and in yeah. this positive, upbeat way that you don't really expect out of a stormtrooper. Yeah, but he pulls it off with freaking class man yeah it's he he really does blow me over uh with his acting ability um, and i'm I, I mean only one black person but at least mm, we got one and yeah. he's the star of, yeah. of the film you know like or a star of the film and i love that like finally in star wars there's a black guy yeah well and, and what's really great too is in contrast with lando calrissian right? yeah right yeah. you have billy d williams playing the ultimate cool guy mm-hmm. uh that everybody like well i wanted to be han but then i met lando <laughs> <laughs> i want to be lando now yeah <laughs> And then it's such a good contrast with that because he's he's innocent, right? He's got these doe-eyed look about him. Uh, the world is brand new, and I'm finally getting to discover some of it. Oh, I've met this amazing girl. Stop grabbing my hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's just constantly like uh, has this blind optimism about life that yeah. peeks through in his personality, whether he's finally shooting down, you know, a, a tie fighter uh, or believing that the force is going to help him some way. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how this works. <laughs> That's not how any of this works. <laughs> I, I loved it. 
I thought I thought he was a great job casting him. Yeah, for sure, for sure, hundred percent. And along that same line, like uh, Harrison Ford reprising Han Solo, God, he picked up. I felt like he. This is some of his really good work because of what he was given to work with. Mm-hmm. There, the scenes between look. She's passed. I love Carrie Fisher. She was a big part of my childhood, but she did not perform well in this movie. Yeah. And definitely not. Watching Harrison Ford play against her, uh, and she was being so wooden and just wasn't giving him anything to work with. And he was just pulling out of these terrible, you know, dialogue, these really great deliveries. Like I was just blown away. I'm like, man. You have not phoned it in, man. It would have been easy to be like, oh, I'm doing this again, but I'll just collect a paycheck and go through the motions. But I felt like he was really investing even whenever he was giving these crappy lines like, oh, I like this, these little cheesy one-liners. Hey, Chewie, can I borrow your your thing? You know, the, his crossbow gun. Um, he fires it. I like this thing. It's, that's corny, and it's unbecoming of a Star Wars film. Yeah. <laughs> well, he basically is... He's he's really good at Han Solo because he also it's the same thing as Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. He just plays the same character, yeah. and it's he's just in outer space. That's the only difference, and he's so good at it. He <laughs> really is. He's born to <laughs> born to be both of those at the same time, and a Blade Runner. And I think I, yeah, I think seriously, like that's how he is in real life. He's easy he's, going and calm, and it, yeah, easy going and calm, but don't mess with him. Yes, you know what I mean. A stoic badass. Yeah, I've I've heard a few interviews uh, of him where he gets like frustrated with the people asking him questions and stuff, and he, <laughs> he doesn't sugarcoat things, you know. Uh, oh, I love him, and he was a freaking pilot. Yeah, he like goes yeah. on rescue missions. Yeah, man, to help you know locals or whatever. Uh, no, he's a badass. Yeah. So J.J. Abrams. Speaking oh, of Harrison that Ford, rabbit hole. Okay. yeah, he is a he can be a good writer. I don't know that he's made a great film in a while. He's made some really good films, um, but a great film. And what I think back is, I want to say he kind of got his break with Harrison Ford. But for what he wrote, he didn't direct it. He wrote regarding Henry. No. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> what? That's I don't believe it. Crazy. Yeah. Please Where's look my it up? IMDb page? <laughs> that's crazy, and that's a that's a fantastic movie. Yeah, it is. And I don't know if Ford Harrison Ford got any nominations for it, but it certainly deserved, you know, uh, a look at least. And he's got so we can see he's got the writing capability, but I feel like at a certain point he's kind of just. He's not doing any of the great things that he used to do all at once. The camera work sometimes felt like it was just unmotivated. We're whipping around for the sake of whipping around, just for the sake of eye candy. Mm. Like if you go and study some Spielberg films, there's rhyme and reason to every camera move. Like these aren't just haphazard, oh, I'm just doing it because it's visually engaging. Knowing when to sit still, knowing when to move. All of that matters. And it's not to say that the camera work is terrible here. It's not. It's freaking gorgeous. But there's just times whenever it's unmotivated. We're moving just for the sake of moving itself, just to give us a sense of grandiosity and and epic scale. But there's also these little moments like uh, when Ray is at the, the salvager, right, and she's cashing in her stuff. There's... It's simple. I mean, it's the simplest camera move, and I'll post it on on the uh, the show notes. And she is debating because this guy, this this buyer, is like, "Give me the BB-8 unit," and she's like, "No, I don't know." And he throws down like all this food, and she seriously considers and then stops and is like, "No, I'll, I'm going to keep him. He's not for sale." And we have this shot where we see her hand slapping down to grab her one quarter portion or whatever. And we can see next to it, like the big pile that she's refusing. And in the same camera movement, it's like this, uh, quick, I don't even know what to call it. Uh, we're, we're dollying and tilting up to go from that hand, grabbing the, uh, the packet to seeing the reaction of the, uh, the dealer's face. Oh yeah. And it's one big smooth movement movement that helps 
identify what exactly is happening emotionally right now in this scene. The refusal is clear as day. You can see what she's grabbing and what she's refusing and his reaction all in one quick, swift shot. Like that's excellent filmmaking. That's maximizing your resources. You could have easily have done that with, you know, two shots, right? But you get two shots in one movement. We're here, we're there, and you're connecting that much more clearly the stakes of what's happening. And so you also understand a little bit more clearly what happens next whenever he sends his guys after her to get the to get the unit. I remember that shot. It was so good. Right? Like yeah. it's super fast, but yeah. it's it works. It's really effective. And he also <laughs> this is a very Hollywood thing to do. There's a lot of like golden hour shooting. Like if you were just to imagine living in any of like this universe or like a Michael Bay universe, you would think the sun is always setting (laughs) at all times of day. (laughs) It's amazing, Uh, but it makes sense as far as it's the most beautiful lighting that you can get. It's even, it's soft. There's these beautiful hues in the sky and a lot easier to, uh, to expose, you know, and get nice, even soft lighting on your actors. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spotting it, I guess. Yeah. There's, no, I like it. there's, there's some other simple things whenever we have a uh, Poe breaking out, right. Whenever he's escaping Finn and Poe are breaking out. What's really cool is that first shot. We're behind them. We're, we're following them as they're escaping. And that, that gives you an impression of they're be- We're chasing them. We're after them. Someone's on their, on their heels. And, that's a weak position for them. And that helps really sell the intensity and the, uh, the, the excitement of what's happening in the scene. We quickly lose that though. Um, when they get their shot off or in front and, uh, the power and tension starts to kind of get relieved as the rest of the scene unfolds, which I don't know, kind of sucks. I feel like you want to keep that tension going a little bit more strongly visually. Uh, and it felt like it got released a little early, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it shouldn't have been released at all because if you consider they ultimately get shot down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, maybe keep that. That would have been really cool. Keep that intensity. Keep Stay behind them and stay keeping them in a weaker position. Yeah, because the, uh, the Hitchcock rule is the larger something is, the biggest thing in the frame is the most important. And so I would have probably kept them a little bit smaller in the frame and and that way you get the sense of scale and scope and you're you're minimizing their strength. What do you what did they shoot this on, do you know? Uh film 35 millimeter and some 65 millimeter. Wow. Yeah, for some of those scenes they they broke out the big guy which made me want to see it in the IMAX, but I don't think they really displayed it in IMAX format so much as just uh utilizing some of the some of those shots for the resolution and I guess for some of the epic scale. Okay. Yeah. But it's, it's never wrong. Man, if anybody wants to break out the, yeah, shooting a film like 65 that on, oh on film. God. Dang. Worth it. Freaking worth it. And I'll have some more, like I have another scene that I could describe it, but it's just not going to work quite as well that I'll walk you through kind of visual eye candy that they're doing whenever She's dragging the salvage away from her, her, her whip, her uh, little buggy, <laughs> whatever that thing is. Um, and you can see this nice long shot and the ways they keep it visually interesting uh, through some of the blocking, not only with the camera, but through the, the actors and every, in the background. Uh, all of that comes into play to make a visually dynamic shot. And I'll walk you through that on the website. Oh, okay. Perfect. Awesome, man. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to say about this? Because nope. Okay. Um. So so, what would you give it out of ten? Like a six, maybe a seven. Okay. Maybe a seven, just because of how gorgeous it is. Yeah. Like it is beautiful when they break out the sabers, man. I'm like, I don't care if you're screwing all that up story wise. Just keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll. I'll do six and a half or seven. Uh, it, the fight scenes are fantastic. Like the flight scenes and when they, when they steal the tie fighter and 
just so so much of it is really cool, but there are just so many holes. Um, yeah, there's just a lack of tension throughout the film. Like, yeah, you never believe anybody's in danger. And I'm so mad that I didn't like Carrie uh, Fisher yeah, in it. I, I'm so mad because I that was my f- one of my favorite parts of Rogue One was, was seeing them recreate her at the end. I didn't even care how yeah. I knew it was digital. I didn't even care. Did not. It care. was just such so, so beautiful, mm-hmm. and I I wanted to see her perform really well and it was it was tough um not but man hopefully actually i might go down to a six now that i'm yeah. thinking about it just because of man <laughs> kylo ren his oh man i i yeah. I, I almost would rather have jar jar binks back i mean it was so <laughs> bad it started so freaking good he was such a badass and i thought yes Yes, we have this guy who's just going to destroy everything that he touches mm-hmm. and it's going to be amazing and he turned out to be a puss and and like having so when who you're fighting you're fighting the, a machine to des- that's going to destroy worlds that's not enough you need a person you need an actual physical thing like 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 a creature that can come after you you know not this not this machine that's gonna that requires a hundred people to sh- shoot something. No, it needs to be Kylo Ren. He has to be the badass the entire time and not wimp out like he does. There's never. Oh God. There's just no consequences. Our guys never fail. Right. Yeah. We no. we they accomplish everything they want to accomplish. And and this is this is just episode seven. You got two more. Let them fail. Yeah. You got time to redeem that. I mean, in, maybe in eight, we'll we'll see some failure or something. But like, this would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. This would have been. That's a this really good point. Actually, yeah. this is exactly where you'd want to fail. That's what happened in the New Hope. And yeah, the mirror. And I said I wasn't going to do this anymore. But like, you you have that moment at the end, right, where Obi Wan dies. Whereas in this one, you have you know Harrison uh, Han Solo dying. And sacrificing, even though the sacrifice was a little different because Obi-Wan was enabling them to escape. And Which I don't think Obi-Wan is dead, by the way. What? <laughs> is saying. he Snoke? <laughs> he disappeared. That's a good point. Yeah. But that they their plan largely, it, it revealed a bigger issue. You know, they realized, oh, crap, like... We were battling something much bigger than we realized. Mm. And I don't remember if they – all three of those originals kind of blend together. I don't remember if uh, they destroyed – it's the Empire Strikes Back where they destroy the Death Star, mm-hmm. quote unquote, and then realize in Return of the Jedi that it wasn't actually destroyed. It was just partly yeah. destroyed. And so in the first one, right, the, you just realize like, oh, that's no moon, you know, and that they were overwhelmed. The only thing they could do right was – to get Princess Leia, but it cost them a Jedi. That's a real sacrifice. Yeah. They no longer got to have Obi-Wan fighting by their side. Yeah. We don't have any real sacrifices here. Yeah. And they win. And nobody they dies. They blew up the, the well, Han dies. planet. They, that's the that's what they're thinking the sacrifice is. But it wasn't it wasn't done right. It mm-hmm. wasn't done in a way where you really felt like it was a sacrifice to get to that that point yeah watch rogue one mm-hmm. that is sacrifice yeah if you haven't seen it go watch it because it's so freaking it's good. So good it's so good <laughs> you talk about sac- every their sacrifice all over that thing yeah all over it it is real world what would happen soup to nuts know? man yeah exactly and yep. he, that's a really good point there's no sacrifice in this they win this would be, have been a perfect time to let them not for yep. a change you know oh man so so yeah i guess i guess i would probably give it a six and I, I oh man i feel like we're being critics and i don't want to be that yeah, you know no. i really don't because they drive me crazy but, but we also need our films to, to do better. Yeah, especially something like Star Wars. I mean, you got to call out the bull. Yeah. And and there is unfortunately a lot of it in this. But it's still it's still a fun movie to see. It is. Know? It totally is. Like I would I'm not putting this in the same category as Transformers. Oh god no. Oh god no. This 
has much more humanity and which by the way are a step up from episodes one two and three <laughs> yeah, that's true that's they true. seriously are yep okay anybody no thinks that i'm wrong <laughs> sorry but you're wrong <laughs> uh, anyway uh do you have a recommendation for the week? I do. 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 Uh, you're watching this right now, I believe. Uh, where did it go? Ho, ho, ho. Where, did it, where did it go? <clears throat> oh, ah. yes. Yes. So I just finished watching The Farthest, Voyager in Space. It's on Netflix. It's a documentary of Voyagers 1 and 2 uh, that were launched um, back in the 60s. And it's fantastic i mean it's shot beautifully they tell all details about how this how it came to happen uh that they got to launched and all these like secret mission within a mission kind of stuff to because because they only got approved to go to two planets right and they build in and they they're like well maybe we could yeah maybe we could program it to after the second one Maybe we'll just continue on anyway. And they do it, and it's all like... Oh, man. So, and what about you? Uh, I am recommending an old film called Swing Kids. Never heard of that. It's staying in topic about... This takes place in World War II as the... Just before the war breaks out. You have these two kids who are best friends, and how they decide to treat Nazism becomes their the driving conflict. And so in that, you can easily think about Finn and watch that movie and say, oh, I see some parallels. It's a, it's a good awesome. film. It has Robert Sean Leonard and maybe Ethan Hawke. I don't remember who else is in it. Oh, wow. Um, but okay. you may remember Robert Sean Leonard from House as his buddy Wilson. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he's a kid. He's a baby. It's so good. How how old is it? Uh, gosh, this is probably the early nineties. Oh wow. Yeah. And so. Oh my god. It's mostly about dancing. That's really. twenty five years ago, dude. Don't, don't. Oh my god. It's lies. <laughs> I just made everyone listening to this feel really old. And. But there's a lot of great like jazz dancing. That's why it's called Swing Kids because oh, okay. uh, what brings a lot of these kids together is their love of dance and jazz. Okay. Um, yeah, cool man, so good, awesome. <laughs> great. Uh, so next week, in preparation for episode eight, we are going to be doing Looper. I can't wait for that. Which is also written by, written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who writes and directs The Last Jedi. Great. Um, yeah, so we'll be covering that. Uh, don't forget to drop us a note on thepestlepodcast.com slash Star Wars The Force Awakens. Unfortunately, I had to make it that long because there's so many damn Star Wars movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the quote of the day is by Joseph Campbell. What each must seek in his life never was on land or sea. It is something out of his own unique potentiality for experience. Something that never has been and never could have been experienced by anyone else. I really yeah. love that. Uh, obviously, I use Joseph Campbell just because uh, of how influential he was over Star Wars. Um, his book, uh, I keep forgetting the name of it, but it's like the book of mythology. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I, I really love that idea that what we're what we're really seeking, you know, isn't something external, it's internal. And our experience is something that makes each of us incredibly unique, you know. You're the only Todd that there can ever be in the universe. I'm the only Wes. And that's beautiful and it should be appreciated and and not forsaken. I think too often we spend, you know, uh, these quiet, desperate moments wishing to be someone else and it's too easy to forget that, you know, who we are, what we are is is a beautifully unique thing and we don't need anything else in order to live our fullest uh, life and potential. That's awesome, man. I totally agree. You know, sometimes I think if you think about all, you know, time is, is linear mm. and you think about this moment right now, it took billions of other moments for this moment that just passed to happen and it's gone but it it waited that long to happen 
That's crazy. Yeah. That blows my mind. And it's gone. It's yeah. that was like that was moments ago. That's over. Now I just missed another one. You know, it's just <laughs> it 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 makes it that that quote reminded me of that a lot because you experience everybody experiences time their own way. But anyway, well done. I like it. Awesome. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, uh, we we hope that you go and if you haven't watched it, we hope that you have. But uh, we hope that you go and watch uh, episode seven. It's still it's a great movie. Um, it's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> but join us next week when we do Looper. That one's going to be really fun. Make sure to watch it ahead of time so you can stay with us and you don't have to pause the the podcast or anything like that. Uh, but until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies.